Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. I want to uh, bounce off of what Drew talked about last week and continue on in this theme. I, I believe what he preached on was a word from the Lord. I think it's something we really need in this hour. And uh, what he preached on, for those of you that were not here, he preached on foundations, Christian foundations, the foundation of your faith. Uh, do you have a strong foundation? I'm not a prophet, I occasionally prophesy. I often say I'm more a historian than a prophet. I see things very clearly in retrospect. But seeing it in advance, not so much. Uh, but I do feel like there's, there, there's some dicey times on the horizon. I remember Pastor Bob, who was on staff with us for a year, Pastor Bob Phillips. He told me in about 2016, 2017, somewhere in there, he said, Dave, the Lord told me that this nation is under grace and he said, it's going to lift about 2020, 2021. He said, I saw, the, one day he was in prayer. We were having a prayer, a day of prayer here. And I called him because I, I had gone to a, a store, a used bookstore. And he and I had the same addiction. And uh, so I called him and he said, Dave, he said, man, God's encountered me three times today. And he said, one of the things the Lord showed me is there's coming global riots in the streets. There's global upheaval coming. We're under a season of grace, but it's going to lift around 2020. And we're seeing that. And I believe that, there, that we're, we're in the thick of it. We're not at the other end of it, we're in the middle of this thing, and there's global upheaval. And it's going to be the greatest opportunity the church has ever had. But it's going to demand people with strong foundations and deep roots. And so the coming days will demand something of the saints. You better have the stuff. And so when Drew was talking about strong foundations, it's a very important subject, and we need to examine our foundation. Do you have a strong foundation? There are two metaphors in the New Testament that are used uh, to speak to the same thing. It's foundations and root systems. Foundations of buildings and roots of plants. It's architecture and agriculture. And both of them speak to the scene, what is in your life, above the ground, what other people see. Your ministry, your character, your reputation is what is seen but it is dependent upon the unseen, the secret, your history with God. Do you have a strong foundation? Do you have something that will stand the test? Foundations and root systems that seem to be sufficient are exposed as insufficient in the time of a storm. I've got a beautiful tree in my yard, got several of them, but one of them, big old beautiful tree, but I'm always concerned when the storms hit because in my housing division, it was mandatory to have an irrigation system. And so we water our lawns. I mean, it's like a competition. I literally had a neighbor, I think he mowed his lawn two or three times a week at times, and I'm not so sure I didn't see him without a scissors and a level out there. I mean, it was immaculate. And so there's this positive, well, I don't know if it's so positive, there's this peer pressure to keep your lawn looking good in my neighborhood. And uh, so we all water our lawns, and there's this big, beautiful tree, but if you go out into the lawn, the root system is just below the surface. It spreads right along the surface. 
And the reason for that is my irrigation system has created an unrealistic environment for the growth of a tree. It's not dependent upon the weather. It's I artificially pump water in there so my trees have never had to go down for water. You see, what will make a strong root system are the dry times in your life. And when there's dry times, when there's famine, it will force the tree, the plant, to dig down deep and search for water. And so sometimes God in his grace will dry up your environment. He will shift the environmental conditions in your life. And your support system, your environmental support system, even your relational support system will at times dry up. And you can get mad at the people around you when it's actually God orchestrating it because he's wanting you to go deeper. Uh, my next door neighbor that's right by that tree, he, he planted this beautiful blue spruce tree. It was gorgeous. We both enjoyed it. He, he enjoyed it because he invested a lot in it. I enjoyed it because I got it for free. It was a beautiful tree. It was right on the boundary line. And one of the storms that came through in the last couple years toppled that beautiful tree. And it was precisely because we water our lawns. That tree did not have a deep root system. So that whole thing fell over and the root ball tipped up. And my neighbor's a good neighbor, so by, by evening it was gone. I mean, there was just a little brushed over hole there. He cut it up and had it hauled off. But we were both grieving the loss of this tree. What seemed sufficient in the good times was exposed as insufficient in a time of storm. And so this, these two metaphors, roots and foundations, are both communicating the same thing. That what everyone else sees is dependent upon the unseen in your life in the hard times. That when the hard times hit, it will expose the faults in your foundation and the shallowness of your root system. And so hard times are actually necessary. It's actually the grace of God attempting to bring stability into our lives. So I want to read a couple of verses to you, a couple of passages. Let's uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to use a physical Bible this morning. It just feels right. You know, back when I first started preaching, as you're preaching, you could do this. You know, you'd hold your Bible, let it flop a little, and maybe even let that little thingy-dingy hang out. It just seemed more dramatic. And it just doesn't seem as dramatic when you hold your laptop up. So I'm going to use a real Bible this morning. All right. I'm, my little thingy-dingy was at the wrong place. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Listen to what he says here. Therefore, well, let's, let's go back to chapter 5, verse 11. Back up a little bit. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Now, the book of Hebrews and the book of James are pretty blunt. These guys, they, uh, they, didn't, they didn't learn to be polite in their teaching. He says, verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who still lives on milk 
being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So he uses several terms here that are very important. He uses the word elementary truths. Elementary. He uses mature as opposed to infancy. He uses the, the idea of milk versus meat. So meat is for the mature, and milk is compared to the elementary truths. So then he says this, goes right into verse 6, 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary truths about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation. And then he gives us certain components of the foundation. So he says we want to leave that. Now what he's not saying is that we leave the elementary truths in that we no longer apply them. They're not important. He's just saying we don't want to have to keep going over the same elementary truths. It's like math. When you have your elementary truths in math, then when you secure those, you can go on to the higher levels of math, algebra, trigonometry, geometry, and the other subjects I flunked. <laughs> because I didn't listen when it came to the elementary truths. And because I didn't have the elementary truths, I was completely lost. I remember my algebra teacher coming over to my desk one morning and started yelling at me, get out! And I looked at her, I said, huh? Get out! She was losing it, just get out! And looking back at now as an adult, I understand why she was losing it. But I was so not there, I didn't even know she was talking to me. I said, are you talking to me? Yes! Just get out of here! I'm like, okay, you know, grabbed my books and walked out. She was so frustrated because I was so checked out. It's because I didn't understand the elementary truths. And therefore, I was lost in the higher levels of learning. So I went to a great school. Because I'd flunked algebra, they thought, well, we, he still needs a math credit. So rather than putting me in general math, they put me in geometry. Same thing happened. Get out! Get out. Teacher lost it again. And I think as a junior, I took general math. I think I got a D, but I got my credit. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I'm a living example of why we need the elementary truths and not leave them in, in, in the sense of forget them, but have those as the foundation, but you don't want to have to keep learning those elementary truths again and again. So what the author does, he begins to break down what this foundation is. So let's read it again. Verse 1, Therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of what? Repentance from acts that lead to death, faith in God, instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So he gives us six components of this foundation. So, in Hebrews chapter 6, this epistle tells us that we, there are elements to our foundation, okay? So there's a, 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 the foundation of repentance from acts to death, faith in God, the laying on of hands, instructions in baptisms. So those are the elements. So then we see in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, no man can lay any other foundation but the foundation of Christ, so which, which is it? Is it Christ or is it repentance and faith? Then in Ephesians he says that we are building upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So which is it? 
Is it the foundation of the apostles and prophets? Is it the foundation of Christ? Or is it the foundation of repentance, faith, and baptisms, eternal judgments? What is it? It's all one and the same. Now, to Seer, when we, were, we had him up here, we prayed for him this morning. Tasir is a builder. So Tasir will build houses. We can drive by one of his work sites and we could refer to the foundation that he lays in several different ways. We could say that's Tasir's foundation because Tasir is the builder. Or we could say that's a poured foundation because that was the method of building the foundation. Or we could say that was a concrete foundation because that is the material of the foundation. And that's what the New Testament is doing. Jesus is the substance. The apostles and prophets were laying Jesus as the foundation of the church. They were the, the, the apostles and prophets were the builders. But the method by which they would lay the material, the way in which Jesus is laid into your life as a foundation is repentance, faith, baptisms, uh, instructions in baptisms. What does he say? Uh, there's the, the uh, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Resurrection of the dead is the one I always forget. God permitting, we will do so. So he, he says that is the way, that is the method by which Jesus is firmly laid into your life. And so we need to understand this because we can brush over the methodology, use the right material, and we think we're okay, but end up with a faulty foundation. So the way that Jesus is laid as a firm foundation in your life and my life is first and foremost through repentance. We've got to secure repentance. Now here's the good news. If you've got foundation problems, you can go back and fix your foundation problems. Matter of fact, I did some research this week. It's been interesting how they can fix foundation problems in houses. It can be very, very expensive, but there's some new technology out there that you can go back and what, what the scriptures calls, go back and do the first works. You can go back and fix the problem that you skipped over early on. So it's key that we repent of our past and we have our faith firmly placed in Christ and his righteousness. Repentance and faith. And often in our culture, in American culture, and because we have emphasized grace and faith so much, we often brush over the repentance part. And when the storm hits, the shallowness of that type of faith is revealed. And so we need to go back and do the first works. We, the, repentance is the key. It's not simply trusting in Jesus. It's letting go of the leadership of your life. That is what repentance is about. It's going back and taking responsibility for what we've done. And seeing it for what it is in such a way that it breaks our heart so that we never want to do it again. 2 Corinthians, I want to say it's chapter 7. Paul says, look what godly sorrow has wrought in your life. And he juxtaposes, he contrasts worldly sorrow over above godly sorrow. 
And here's the big difference. Worldly sorrow is sorry that it got caught. Worldly sorrow is sorry for the consequences it experienced due to its sin. But given the opportunity to do that thing again, void of the consequences, it would jump on it. So worldly sorrow is simply sorry that it got busted. It's sorry that, man, it turned out that way. And one of the manifestations of that type of sorrow is even after you've left that behavior, you still fantasize about it. Because in your fantasy world, there are no consequences. There's not a person here who sits around fantasizing about getting in trouble for what you do. Oh, you know. We, we're thinking about the pleasure of sin in sinful fantasy, not the consequences of those sins. And so what will break us from those things, what will break us from wanting to do those things anymore is seeing it for what it is, being willing to look at our sin. I've shared this quote before, but I think it's just so good. Frank Bartleman was a journalist and one of the primary intercessors of the Azusa Street Revival. If you listen to Lou Engel at all, you will hear about Frank Bartleman because Lou carries this word about being Frank Bartleman. He was crying out to God one night saying, God, give me the anointing of Frank Bartleman. He kept asking the Lord for that one day. The next day, a buddy of his, a very prophetic man, calls him and said, Lou, I had a dream about you last night. Someone put a book in my hand. I looked and it was Frank Bartleman and it said revival. I opened up the book, read the title, and then I closed it. And all of a sudden, Frank's face morphed into yours. And that was God's little kiss that I've given you the anointing of Frank Bartleman to stay in the pocket of intercession until revival breaks loose. Frank Bartleman was a tremendous intercessor, but he was also a great journalist and he archived a lot of what happened. He wrote a great book called The Azusa Street Revival. And uh, he said this, in retrospect, after the revival fires had burned down, many years later, looking back on it, he said this. He said, too often... We pulled people prematurely from the womb of conviction. And then we were forced to incubate them from then on. That is a powerful statement. We we need to allow repentance to do its work. Because repentance is not necessarily an event, it's more of a process. And as we allow that godly sorrow to work in our heart. You see, godly sorrow is different than worldly sorrow because godly sorrow says, I'm not just grieved over the consequences. I'm grieved over what I did because I recognize it hurt the heart of God. I recognize that those consequences were actually provided by God to keep me from that stupidity again. God was introducing those consequences to steer me but I've not allowed those consequences to do their work if I just regret the consequences. That I recognize that I broke the heart of God. That, it, that, I'm a, that I, I, I was a bad person. When we get students into Teen Challenge, often I would hear them say this. They'd come in and I'd sit down with them and just ask them about their story. And they would always say, the long one or the short one? I'd always say, give me the long one. It was weird. How I'm serious. 85% of the people, you say, tell me your story. They would say, the long one or the short one? I always wanted to hear the long one because you can learn a lot about a person by their story. And they would begin to tell me, and a lot of times they would say this, you know, I'm really not a bad person. After they told me how they robbed from their grandmother, abandoned their family, 
and a lot of times ended up going to prison for a lot of other things, they'd say, I'm really not a bad person. And see, their assessment of their past was one of the primary reasons they continued in that. And until they saw it for what it was, then they really wouldn't be cured of ever doing it again. It's not just about having faith in Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says it's first, first repentance from acts that lead to death, then faith in God. Those two things are crucial. Matter of fact, if, if uh, I had a hologram up here, I would write in the air and you could see that there are really two sides to the gospel and two sides to the scripture and two sides to God's character. And when we see God for who he is, then we will see our lives clearly. What do I mean by that? This book is the written form. There we go. See, I can hold it up. This book is the written form of God's character. There are two ways we can look at the word. The word of God is our foundation. There is the living word, Jesus Christ, and the written word, the Bible. Your foundation better be Jesus. It better be the word. And when we're talking the word, we're talking both the living word and the written word. And this word is the living expression or the printed expression of the living word. If you want to know him, you better get to know this book. Because God has given us a Bible that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it will divide asunder and expose the motives, the thoughts and intents of our heart. And so we need to learn the word for ourselves. And if we don't know the word for ourselves, we're like the tree in my yard that I'm always worried about when the wind comes. It is dependent upon a non-realistic environmental condition that I'm always pumping water. It never had to work for it. It gets it for free. Sunday morning is the irrigation system. You get to sit and hear what someone else dug out of the word. And that is scriptural as a supplement. But it better not be your main course. You need to know this book for yourself. There needs, there's a verse in Isaiah that says, who is the one whom I esteem? God is speaking. There, there's a certain kind of person that the Lord esteems. That, that blows my mind. That God would esteem a human being. And then he defines it. He says, the one who trembles at my word. We need to learn to tremble at this book. We need to have the fear of the Lord. When we read this, it becomes a mirror by which we see ourselves and it corrects us in the wrong things and validates us in the right things. It teaches us what to believe and we actually encounter him through his word because he is the word. The only reason I can trust his word is because it's an expression of him. Just like I don't trust someone's word unless I know they have the character to back it. The only reason I can trust this word is it flows from the heart of the one I've met and trusted and who saved me. 
It is an expression. It emanates from him. And he speaks to us out of this book. And we need to get that in our heart because that will cause us to want to get up in the morning and read this book. I mean, this thing has the secrets to the universe. The secrets to life. Psychology and psychiatry cannot touch the depths of this book. It understands the heart of man better than any doctorate, any, any uh, academic institution. They can't mind the depths of this book. It is the ultimate book on anthropology. You want to understand man? Read the book. You want to understand marriage? Read the book. You want to understand finance? Read the book. This is the secret to the universe. And it was given to us by a loving God that wants to share his heart with us. So when we talk about foundations in our life, yes, we're talking about Jesus, uh huh. And we're talking about the Bible, uh huh. Because they're inseparable. So when we talk about having a firm foundation, what, we, what we've got to avoid, what we've got to be careful, uh, is that we're not like the tree in my yard with shallow root system. Looks real pretty, but it's very susceptible to the wind because it's been raised in an artificial environment. It's dependent on someone else to bring the water to it rather than digging down deep and finding its own source. Do you have your own source? Do you know how to mine things out of the word? One of the ways to do that is you just need to get in the word and start reading it and get familiar with the book. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I know when I first got saved, I felt completely overwhelmed by the Bible. I would hear preachers up there, and the Hittites wore this type of helmet, and I'm thinking, how am I supposed to know that stuff? I'll never learn that stuff. But I realized as I began to walk with the Lord that knowledge produces knowledge. The more you know, it'll begin to multiply and the spirit of God will begin to show you things. And John goes as far as saying this in 1 John, you have no need of a teacher for you have an anointing that abides within that will teach you. Amen. And put it this way, you have no need of an irrigation system. It's nice, it can supplement, but you are not dependent upon this pulpit or any other teacher. You have the anointing of the Spirit of God and you've been given his book. And if you will learn to get in the book, God will speak to you. And what we need is we need a working knowledge, a general knowledge of the book. There, we live in a day and age where there are so many resources. There's, there's a video series called The Bible Project. Anybody ever seen those? It's these little graphics. It is absolutely phenomenal. You can go and learn about books and the whole Bible and redemptive history, and it's real solid theology. Now, the danger is this day and age, there's so much available. The danger is there's a lot of bad stuff that are available. So check your source. But the fact is, there's a lot of material out there that we can draw from. But get a working knowledge of the Bible. 
Begin to get familiarized with the books of the Bible. You can go on, look up the Bible project. There's these little graphics and a little voiceover and they'll draw it out as they're talking and they're short enough that it'll tell you this is what the book of Isaiah about and this is what the book of Romans is about and it'll break it down. It's really good stuff. Get a working knowledge of the book. Make it a priority in your life. In the coming days, you are going to need a root system that is not visible from the front yard. You're going to need a root system that goes down deep, that can feed itself, that can stand in the hour of a storm. Famine, dry times are good for trees for a season because it forces them to go down deep. And the dry times actually prepare a tree for the windy times. It actually prepares them for a storm. And so foundations and root systems are crucial. So we need to have Jesus laid as the foundation in our life. How do we do that? Repentance, faith, instruction and baptisms. We'll get into in the coming days. I don't know if it'll be next week, but in the coming days, we'll, we'll start to break that apart and look at what Hebrew 6 calls the foundations of the faith. But what we need to understand this morning is that Jesus is laid in our life, but you can just as clearly say the, the scripture, you need to be founded in the scripture because Jesus is the living word, the Bible is the written word. And your subjective ideas of what Jesus is like need to be corrected or validated by the book. Let me say it again. Your subjective, sentimental, romantic ideas of what Jesus is like, and we all have them. I remember Amy sent me a picture of Jesus, this muscle-bound Jesus. She said, this is the Jesus I think of. You know, muscle-bound Jesus. We all have our ideas of, our, of Jesus. Some of them are more accurate than others. That was a good picture of what he is spiritually. Exactly. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not dissing on Amy's picture, but we have these ideas. You know, there's a lot of people talk about the woke Jesus, Jesus is the one who awakens you. He's not, he's not woke in the cultural sense of the term. But see, we, get, we, get, we adopt these ideas of what Jesus is really like, and they don't align with the book. So we end up worshiping another Jesus. And then I see people online talking about people like me saying they're worshiping another Jesus. And what they really mean is they, they don't believe the things I do. But I believe it because it's in the book. So you better get in the book because the book will correct your ideas of what Jesus, who Jesus is. You won't know him without the book. The Spirit of God will lead you in the book and begin to instruct your heart so that you know who he is. He'll shape your theology and you can encounter him in the book. You know, in the Old Testament, God said, I will dwell between the cherubim on the lid of the ark. He said he would, he would dwell there. And so the people of Israel would go to where the ark was because they could meet with God there. I'm telling you, he hovers over the pages of this book. And if you will, he will. If you will come, he will meet with you there. And he will speak to you. And get to the place where you weep over this book. I'm not saying that every time, hey, I don't, every time I read the Bible doesn't mean I break down and weep and the glory comes and there's a, a you know, glowing orb over my Bible. Sometimes it's real boring, but I'm telling you, sometimes he meets with me in this book. 
And when he comes, I could spend hours on three words because it's alive and he's there speaking them to me. And those are the things that will hold me. It's not what I heard some other guy say from a pulpit or some other gal write in a book that holds me in the hard times. It's the things I got straight from him out of this book when he ministers to me. And that's available to all of us. That is not, that is not a responsibility relegated to pastors and preachers. It is the responsibility of every saint, get to know this book Begin to allow it to speak to you. That's why we've been very, very intentional the last number of years. We've got to get the scriptures in our children. And we do whatever we have. We reward them. We bribe them. I know. Some of you, that's not right. Well, I'm just telling you, I'm after the, the end result. And if I got to bribe a little kid, if I got to give him some candy to memorize a verse... He can fill the cavity, but I'm telling you, the, the thing he learned as a little kid when he becomes a teenager and a young adult and an old man, that's going to hold him in that hour. See, what we're doing is we're, we're giving them a language by which God can talk to, him, to them. When they know this book, this is the language of heaven. God, the more you know of this book, the more you know of the academic the more he can speak to you through the prophetic. But the prophetic void of knowledge of the Bible is dangerous. Because you end up prophesying out of your own head. Matter of fact, the scripture is very clear. Let one prophesy and the others judge. And how are we going to judge their word? By some sentimental feeling. Well, I liked it. It made me feel. No, it's by the book. Did what they say contradict the book? And so we've got to be rooted in the word. We are called to be, we are known as a prophetic church. But the way to be a prophetic church without getting weird is to know the book. Amen. I had a couple uh, attend the church. They were, they were going to jump in with us and I was meeting with them and they ended up getting brought on the team of another church and, and uh, it, it would bum me out. But the Lord told me, they, they called me and said, hey, I need to meet with you. Could, could we meet with you? And the Lord spoke to me and said, they've been offered a position at another church. You need to bless it. So I wrote it on a piece of paper. So we sat down. They said, I know we've said we're going to be coming to your church and we really wanted to, but, and I said, stop. And I pushed the piece of paper over and they read it. And I said, God told me, I'm supposed to bless you. Made it easier on me. Wonderful couple. But when they first started coming, they told me this. They said, you guys really preached the word there. But they said it like they were surprised which I didn't know whether to take that as a compliment or an insult or kind of both. I was, I was kind of pleased and bummed at the same time. And I said, what do you mean? They said, well, you know, you're, you're, the, the reputation of Heartland is you guys are the wild charismatics in the region, but you guys really study the word. Hey, as long, I wanted us to be a church of the spirit, unashamedly, absolutely, but I want us to be a church of the word. I want us to be anchored to the word and flopping in the wind, okay? But let's be anchored to the word so that the spirit can move us around any way he pleases. But we've got to have both. And here's the thing. The, the, the things of the spirit are largely subjected, subjective. In other words, they're subjective to what you already believe. And how do you know if what you already believe is God? 
the book. The objective reality of the book. And so we align things with the book. And so let's make sure that we have a root system, a foundation that's firmly established in Christ. Let's get Jesus laid as that foundation. Let's repent of acts that lead to death. I'm telling you, if you have unrepented sin, unconfessed sin, I'm not talking about that you struggle with something and you're going to people and saying, please pray with me. I wanna, I wanna overcome this. I'm not talking about that. There's gonna be victory if you will stay in this book and you're struggling with sin one or the other will cease okay if you are struggling with sin and you will stay in the book and I'm not talking about just putting your time in yeah we've all been there you're reading three chapters and you realize I have no idea what I just read because I was thinking about that that muscle car that God needs to bless me with you know okay that's my fantasy you have your own But the fact is, I'm not talking about that. I'm I'm talking about interacting with the word where God's speaking to me. If you will do that, that sin will fall off or your time in the book will fall off. But if we'll stay in there and be asking God, God, I want to be whole. I want to be holy. I want to be a good representative. I don't want to grieve your heart. Lord, help me. God will lead you to people that will help you. I'm not talking about that. But what I am talking about, if you can sit in this room and you come and you hear the preaching of the word and you stand up here with your hands raised and you're worshiping, but you know you have sin in your life that is unrepented of and you don't feel convicted, I'm here to tell you as your pastor with a broken heart, you are in a dangerous, dangerous place because the same sun that melts the butter hardens the clay. And the same word that will bring life to one will actually harden the heart of the other. And so we've got to have the fear of the Lord and we've got to tremble at his word. And we've got to ask the Lord, God, soften my heart. Let me be convicted. I want to draw closer to you. Lord, show me those things. I need to be in the word because God, the word of God is like a mirror, James says. He says, we look into it and we see ourselves. But there's, a, there's a, a caveat there. It's when you read the word and you do it. He said, don't merely be a hearer. And then he says this, and so deceive yourselves. Man, that'll, that'll put the fear of God in you. Man, I felt the fear of God come over me this week when I read that verse again. Don't merely hear the word and so deceive yourselves. In actuality, your Bible study can increase the deception in your life if you are a person that doesn't apply it. Because the human capacity for self-deception, this, this belief that, well, if I know it, then I'm good. It's like there's a, a famous lawsuit going on right now that's all over the news you got to wonder why is that so much in the news what 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 are they trying to distract us from that is so weird but I did catch a piece of it Uh, uh, I'm ashamed to admit and they were asking this woman on the stand in her divorce she she was given seven million dollar divorce settlement and she went in the news and said yeah and I gave it all to charity and the attorney pressed her and said you gave it yes I did no you didn't because they didn't receive it well I pledged it 
Yes, but did you give it? Yes, I did. No, you didn't because they did. And finally she admitted, she said, well, I use the words pledge and give interchangeably. And now I'm not judging her motives. I don't know what's going on there, but I am. I do know a lot of believers like that. And they think that pledging and following through are the same thing. They think that hearing the word equals obeying the word, and it doesn't. And so we need to be in this word and allowing the Lord to convict us and change us and, and tweak our hearts and embed within us an obedience because the connection between the word and a transformed life is the bridge of obedience where we begin to adjust our life and we say, Lord, I see you're smarter than me and I see that you say this is wrong and this is right. I need to quit doing this and I need to start doing this. I repent of my sins of commission, the things I'm doing wrong, and my sins of omission, the things I haven't been doing that are right. And as we bring ourselves under that word, you know the, the, the word obedience literally means to hear under. That's the idea. To hear and to get underneath that thing and allow it to rule over our life. And that is the pathway to freedom like you've never known, prosperity, joy, to really stepping into the purpose for which you were made is to obey the book. And God, by his spirit, is so gracious. He will lead you right to what you need to know. I, I, I never cease to marvel. People will come up to me and say, Pastor, I so appreciate you preaching on such and such. And I'm thinking, I've never preached on that in my life. I've been preaching a lot of years, decades, many decades, but I've never preached on it. But that's what they heard. And I'll have four people come to me and talk about what, one message, and they all heard four different things. And I've just come to the conclusion, I'm pretty irrelevant up here. You know, I'm just the guy talking. God is going to do what he's going to do if you're open. And it's a beautiful thing that God will highlight what you need to hear if your heart is responsive to him. And he'll transform your life. So how deep is your root system? Have you learned to go down deep and get what you need from the book. Now, there are times that God will withhold from you in your private time what he wants to give you from a brother or sister. But he never wants you to be dependent upon someone else. On the authority of his word in 1 John, he says it. You are not in need of a teacher. Now, that doesn't mean that teachers aren't a blessing and supplemental because Paul very clearly says he gave some to be teachers. But we're not to be dependent upon them. And I fear American Christianity has become so dependent on TV preachers and YouTube videos and podcasts. And I, hey, I consume a lot of that stuff. I'm listening to podcasts and audible books all the time. But that cannot take the place of your personal digging into the word. Amen. Dig down deep. And it just may be the dry season you're in is God loving you enough to say, I want to take you deeper. I got some things I want to show you personally. And whoever your favorite preacher is can't get you there.
I want to give it to you myself. So dig down deep. Have a strong foundation. The thing about foundations is the deeper or the higher you want to build, the deeper you've got to go down. If you just want a tool shed out back, you can... You could probably even get away with just putting a couple cinder blocks on the ground and leveling it, and it'll tweak a little bit, but it's not a big deal because the quality that you need in that building is not a big deal. If you want a level floor, you're going to have to go down below the frost line. But if you want to go up five, six, eight, 20 stories, you've got to go deeper. I remember reading years ago the, the, uh, the uh, Empire State Building. I forget. There are like 30 floors beneath the, the ground. I mean, they go deep because they want to go high how high do you want to go in God what kind of impact do you want to make in the seen realm you worry about how deep you go and God will worry about how high you go God will promote you as you go deeper but get into this book and learn it and let it correct you and let it tweak you amen all right now, you're going to say, Pastor, you're getting off track. I forgot to say, we got food trucks back there. It's 12.03 and they're waiting. So another good thing you can do as a believer is eat together. I'm serious. There's something about eating together that is a covenantal thing. So much so, the Bible says, if there's a brother in, a sin, in sin and he won't repent, don't eat with him. It's spiritual. So we're about ready to go in the back and do some spiritual things. I saw a taco truck. That is highly spiritual. Okay, that's like really spiritual. So let's go ahead and stand. Hallelujah. Let's ask the Lord right now to do a work in our hearts. Just put your hands up before the Lord. Father, I'm asking, God, that you'd give us a hunger for your word. Lord, that we would realize that our hunger for you can be quenched, can be actually satisfied through the word. That you will reveal yourself, facets of your character, mysteries of the universe through your book. Lord, I'm asking, God, that you would make us a people of the book. Lord, I thank you that you're going to raise up a people in this house that regardless of the winds on the horizon, we will stand strong. Lord, that we will be a house under which people can find shelter in the time of storm. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.